Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey everybody, David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. Few would argue that the automotive industry isn't in need of a massive injection of universally recognized professionalism and expertise. That would coincide with higher prices, which would lead to higher wages, thus attracting new talent into our field. Even though we all agree on the goal, we can't seem to agree on how to achieve it. Is licensing the answer? What about government regulation? We dive into this topic with Kent and Cecil Bullard of the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. We recorded this episode live at the iScan Technical Training Conference 2022, put on by Autoland Scientech. You can learn more about Cecil and Kent at wearetheinstitute.com. And now, here we go. on the, the sparkling water very good i know dude this is in the a, bathrooms those are nice they were impressive y'all, y'all have put on a killer event to say the least it is and this facility is well make sure awesome. you say it right i'm saying it. Uh, it david was a little confused he said i'm not going to buy sewing supplies so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the outside sucks but it, one day it'll be clean he, he like he oh i got lost here like i had no idea i'm driving around and i'm like i don't see any like it the took institute. me here yeah. yeah i didn't see any signage or anything like that and i'm just i mean i wasn't looking you had told me you said it's pink and it's you know Ugly, and you explained everything sin. so i'm like boom i know I'm, I'm in the right place i'm i'm good to go um so uh we had a panel yesterday right okay. and i think it was a good panel we had some really good discussions you think that because you were on the panel that's a good yeah, point. you ran it, so you have to say. It was I have good. to say it's good. No, it was terrible. Um, but at the end of it, I think was the best part, right? And it got a little heated. What's funny because I walked out of the room. I, I listened to like 10, 15 minutes, and I went and right. did something. I don't know, filled sodas or whatever. And then I come back, and we're talking about paying technicians and how they're not getting paid and and all of that and i was like well was there I a bunch of cussing at the right time because he's like he's like it was a bunch of cussing there was. Got heated. it was great there it was very the, dramatic was one. at the end it yeah. really was so and 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 look i i, I had a, a conversation with justin earlier and i said i think we need to have those conversations absolutely i i think we need to we need to be passionate they need an opportunity to, to voice what they feel and how they feel and and you know one of the most interesting things was the raise of hands Right. Yeah. When when questions start going around and, and, you know, one of the things that I've I've really been thinking about, um, are you happy or are you really happy? Right. And so I thought it was really interesting. But that gentleman says, hey, how many love your job? And every hand in the room went up. Yeah, that was that was pretty powerful. But they also just being a tech, it's almost like you can't be happy. Yeah. Right. Because 
you know, one of the things that was stated was, you know, you get that car in your bay, you've seen it for three days, and you're, you come to work and you're like, yeah, you know, oh, you know, I don't right. want to be here. Right. And if you're going to be a tech, that's going to happen. That's your job. I mean, frankly, I'm pretty sure you've had some podcasts where you've got somebody on that was like, oh, crap, this is not going to be good. I don't want to be yeah. here. But yeah. it's your job, right? You Absolutely. You, you work yeah. through it. I sidetrack the conversation is what I do. And we go off in the left field That's the to best keep it way. interesting. Thank you. Yeah. I was entirely validated. Podcast over. We're to. done. <laughs> I'm never doing another recording. Flip the table over. <laughs> over. I'm right. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Thank you. That's all I'm trying to say. Hey, listen, if Cecil but, gives you validation, I mean, that's all you need, right? But I, but I'm I, saying. I can say, you know, in this industry, we are not... We're not making it the industry of come here. It's a great place. Right. Right. Uh, you know, one of the things the guy stated was, you know, I've got to buy tools. And, yeah. you know, I, when, when I was a tech, when I first started out teching, which is that's a ways back. Right. But I was spending 5000 bucks a year on tools. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And back then we were flat rate and and, you know, I was probably making 50000 But to have a family even yeah. 20 years ago and make 50000 it wasn't easy. Right. Well, so what stood out to me is something that, that David and I have talked about many times. And, and he said something that kind of, I don't want to say triggered me, but it woke me up a little bit. He said, everybody in the room should make more than $100,000. That's what I said. Well, I, and, and a bunch of people <laughs> said it, though, yeah. right? Yeah. But, but the point that I make to him particularly and, and the way that he brought it up was over 100000 Right. Yeah. And, and you're not paying your guys enough. Now, A, that's a conversation that's been going around a lot. But B, why 100,000? Why is that why not 150? Right. Why, why not 200? Is that an arbitrary number? It is an we, arbitrary number. We even had some people saying, well, I'll, I'll gladly pay you that, but you have to have the experience, the knowledge, and the training in order yep. for me to, to value yep. that. So part, part of the problem is not, I mean, obviously, I think the biggest part of the problem is the shop and the way the shop runs and what they charge and how they think yeah. about themselves. But part of the problem, too, is you have technicians who are saying, well, we would be busier and we'd make more money if you had more cars coming in and if you were cheaper. Yeah. And, and they don't understand the relationship between what I charge and how I can pay you. Exactly. And, and so it, some technicians believe the reason that we're not busy is that, you know, we're, we're too expensive. Yeah. I've heard a lot say that. And I've, I've heard people complain that. And, and they think if they lower the price, they're going to be busier. But then they would also complain about the cars they work on. So yeah. when you bring in a discount customer or a cheaper customer, you're going to be working on older cars and, and more POS, yeah. right? Yeah. And, you know, in my experience, and I've, I've been consulting now, coaching for 21 years. Right. And, you know, we have uh, currently about 100 and, between 150 and 160 shops that we work with. Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your parts tech account, go to my shop, and click on the rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, parts tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, Shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. And the shops that are the busiest and the most profitable are also the most expensive. Right. They're not the cheap shops. Yep. I'm going to end the live stream. Okay. Folks that want to hear the rest of the story. We're going to continue the conversation. You're going to have to better come come to the podcast. That's it. That's it. We have a podcast.
Yeah, I think, I think so. I think that's what we're here for. Um, so you, you, you bring up a, a really, really important point for me personally, right? Is that, that hey, you've got to charge more. You've got to get the right cars in the door. But do you think it's because we don't have that communication with the technician? Is it because we're not, you, you know, to be able to understand that, right? And, and that was one of the things that came up last night is there's so many owners that were technicians yeah. that never learned to be business owners. Do we start educating technicians at least to some degree on oh, business uh, financials? Frankly, as every owner should be explaining the financials and how the business makes money to their staff. Okay. Everyone needs to understand that, look, when I charge 100 bucks an hour, I don't get 100 bucks an hour. Right. You know, and, and when I pay you 35 bucks an hour, I don't pay you 35 bucks an hour. I pay you a lot more than 35 bucks right. an hour because I've got FICA, FUTA, yeah. workers' comp, medical... You know, 401k, whatever I do costs me right. 25, 35% more. Right. And so, you know, it, it's, it's even funny. I don't know, a year ago, a year and a half ago, Kent came and said, I'm not, I'm not getting paid enough, which is probably true. Right. But he was like, <laughs> he was like, you know, I'm only getting 700 bucks a week. Right. And you're like, well, I'm paying you like 1100 a week. And he's like, well, right. I'm only getting 700 So you're only paying me $700. i am like, no, right. no, 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 no. I'm you paying need you, to see what I'm really you know? paying you. And, and I don't think at the time that he fully understood that not only are we paying all these taxes and matching that, but we're paying workers' comp and FICA yeah. and FUTA and, you yeah. know, all of these other things that go into having an employee. There's, so, and there's a lot. But I mean, you just don't realize it. Yeah. But, but I want to go and, – and yeah, that – Education is extremely valuable, but but I, but I think the problem really stems from a lack of worth in what we do. Uh-huh. So as a technician, you know, um, I don't know about business. I don't understand right. that when I get a thirty dollar an hour pay, it's really costing the owner thirty eight bucks an hour, right? right? And I don't understand that when I charge one hundred and ten dollars an hour that I really only get 95 as a effective labor rate because of right. certain things that happen and comebacks and, and other stuff. Right. And, th- and that's important. But I think the most important thing is this sense of what I'm worth. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to see it in a, right. like in that conversation. Well, how come yeah. I'm not making a hundred thousand dollars a year? And, and, and I think that, that now you have a tech that's saying, wait a minute, I'm worth at least a hundred thousand a year. Right. Right. But I think as owners, many of our owners are saying, well, I'm, I'm just a, a mechanic. Right. Well, wait, wait a minute. I mean, you serve a purpose in society, a valuable purpose. You're as, right. And, and the knowledge that you need today, not only to, to be a technician, but to run an effective business. And, you know, with all the government regulation and the costs and all the other things, you need a certain level of knowledge that you didn't need 30 years ago. Right. You could you could roll your toolbox into the shop and you could go to work and that was it. And, and maybe that's part of where this has come from, right? Maybe that's where this, this mentality and, and the fact we've got a bunch of technician owners, if you will, right? I mean, I know you guys work with a lot of, of shops and I'm sure you see a lot of shops that you start working with them and the owner was in the back. He wasn't working up front. He wasn't working on the business. He was working in the business. We, st- we still see it all the time. And, yeah. and you're... And and you're you're running your business based on kind of more, I don't know, just personality. If I work hard enough, I'll make enough money. Yeah. If I have enough cars, I'll make enough money. Yeah. And that's that's a false statement. I, we we had a post just the other day, and he was talking about the fact he could fix cars nobody else could fix. And I said you can fix cars nobody else can fix for eternity and never make any money. Yeah, you have right? to. And 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 because you can fix. So, you know, we we teach like I should have a like a level three diag. So right. when a customer calls me and says, I've had it to three shops, nobody can fix my car, the, the lights ought to start going off in my brain. And I should say, well, wow, that's $1,000 to start. Right. Right. I yeah. mean, that's, that's not my $120 diagnostic. Right. Because, you know, this is going to be a tough one. It takes a certain level of knowledge and skill to be the guy that can fix everything. Right. And, and there's value in that. You know, my, da- my dad, when he was 12, he, he dropped out of school. Uh, you know, poor from a poor family, um, he went to work at the Ford dealership sweeping floors. And right. for his entire life, until he died, 73, when he died, he thought, I'm just a mechanic. Right. And he saw right. himself on a, 
on a lower level than the doctor, the lawyer, the the guy that had the college education. Right. Right. Well, you know, we just had that that conversation just a few minutes ago. Right. We were literally just talking about that. And what makes an electrician different than an automotive technician? Well, you know, and and so some of the things we came up with were, you know, they have code enforcement. Right. Somebody comes back and double checks and make sure they're doing the job they're supposed to do. And David said, well, but I mean, it's not like that that house is rolling down the road. Well, no. But I mean, if somebody backs into an ungrounded outlet that's shorted internally. Die. Exactly. I mean, yeah. it, you know, there, there's inherent risk in everything you do. Yeah. At the end of the day, there's a risk in every single step you take. And so, you know, what makes us different than the other professions? Why, why is it? It seems like we're undercharging compared to the other well, professions. It, it is not anything other than our own mentality about what, what our value is. You know, as a consultant, you go in and you go, look, we should be charging 250 an hour. There right. shouldn't be a shop in the United States less than 250 an hour. I mean, my electrician charges me 250 an hour, 300 bucks an hour. My lawyer charges me five. Right. Right. And. My the guy that works on my car, he's not he's not dumber right. than my lawyer. He has right. a different set of skills, but right. he has to have good skills, yeah. right? And yeah. and maybe there is this sense of, well, when I'm doing an oil change, it's just an oil change, but it really isn't because you have a responsibility for the whole car, right? So you have right. to understand the whole vehicle. Yeah, and I I just really think that until we until we believe we have real value as an industry, and, and it, 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 it's right now you probably have maybe 30% of the guys that are out there going, look, I have value and I've got to charge this, et cetera. Right. But you have 70% that aren't. Right. And they, I think they almost feel like they can't because the customer won't pay it. Well, and, and so you, you come to the next thing that I was just thinking about. And, and we've heard talk of glass ceiling. Right. We've heard talk. Right. And, and, and truthfully, I believe we're a long way from the glass ceiling of auto repair. Right. Ninety percent of the shops in the nation today, they're nowhere near that glass ceiling. Right. I don't think that anybody is. And I've got a guy that's 260 bucks an hour. Right. Well, so Becky Whip posted the other day in ASOG um, and she was mentioning or she brought up the fact that, um, you know, demographics matter. And, and the income of the area matters. And, and so my thought process is I've always said that I disagreed with that. I do, too. And, and you know, in, in, at least in part. Yeah. Well, that's what I was getting ready to say is for me personally, I believe that where I disagree is, is that, yes, absolutely. I'm sure there's some areas you can't charge as much as other areas. But, A, in every area, there's somebody who wants to buy your product. I guarantee you every single town has somebody who doesn't eat at McDonald's and goes to a nice steakhouse, right? Uh, that's, well, we have steakhouses. Yeah. And it, they're full. Exactly. And they're doing business. I mean, you can buy a, a, you can go to McDonald's and I think for eight bucks you can get a Happy Meal or whatever, right? Right. And, or you can go down to this nice steakhouse and pay a hundred bucks for a, a yeah. Kobe beef steak exactly. cooked and, perfectly. And have, a, and have a completely different experience. And it's I've been in both places yeah. and they're both busy. Exactly. Right. And you enjoy both, right? Yeah. It's not that you enjoy one. Well, one. I'm not really a McDonald's guy, except for when I'm desperate. Right? <laughs> I don't know. I like McDonald's. Every once in a while, I need a Big Mac just right. to get the feeling afterwards. You right. Know what I'm right. I think it's a matter of cost, though. Some areas are just cheaper to live, operate, have the business. Well, but so, so, so we were in Southern California, and we moved to Utah. And what I heard in Utah was, well, people are cheap in Utah. You know, there's a lot of Mormons here. Mm-hmm. Um, there, uh, a large portion of the, and the, and the church te- teaches, you know, a, a, a bit like Dave Ramsey, you know, don't buy that expensive car. Don't, you know, you know, pinch some pennies, yeah. et cetera. Do, do it yourself, et cetera. Right. And so you would think in Utah of all places, it would be difficult to have a, a very successful shop, but the most successful shops that I have in Utah are, are, um, they have an eight hundred dollar average repair order on a general repair shop, and their right. and their rate is twenty five thirty dollars more than the common market rate. But what I'm saying though is, the rent, Sunil was on our podcast, and he said, what was he paying like ten thousand dollars a month rent? Twenty one when we had our shops in in okay, uh, so California, like twenty one thousand dollar rent yeah. is going to force you to charge a higher rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah than yeah than. Yeah. Me paying thirty five hundred a and month, you, and you see it as you as you go around the country. So yeah. you know, if I'm in New York, the guys are going to have higher rates. Yeah. My my most expensive guy is like two sixty four an hour, and he's in the San Francisco area. Yeah, we got some shops in L A. that are two ten. We got some shops in Florida that are two ten, two twenty. 
you know, um, most of our shops are probably 140, 160, that yeah. range. And But if I'm in Arkansas or maybe Mississippi, right. I might see a $100 labor rate or a $95 labor rate. Yeah. But but the thing is is that the guy that's charging two hundred should be charging two fifty, and the guy that's charging yeah. ninety five should be charging one hundred and forty five. Exactly, it, it, it does matter where you are as far as cost of doing business. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. And, and maybe in California, I'm paying a tech one hundred and sixty thousand a year, and in Arkansas, I'm paying a guy ninety thousand. Well, and that was really my perspective was <laughs> is that yes, the demographics matter. But they don't matter to the scale that we don't need to go up as a whole. But I think right? what, we're all low. When you're saying, when you're hearing something from Becky, or even most of the time, what you're hearing is, in my neighborhood, people won't pay that. Yeah, absolutely. Is what you're hearing, and that's not. I used to, I used to go in and I used to say, look, you have to do this and you have to do that, and and I would argue. Like somebody say, well, Cecil, you don't understand. You can't charge that here. And I would argue for hours and hours with this guy. Right. I don't argue anymore because whatever your belief system is, that's where you're going to be. Right. If you think yeah. people won't pay 100 bucks an hour in my neighborhood, they, ain't gonna they pay won't pay 100 bucks an hour. Because you're not confident in it. You'll never even yeah. ask for it. Right. And, and most, of the, most of the discounting and the cutting of rate I see happens even before the customer gives feedback. Yeah. So it's in the head of the service advisor, the person doing the estimating or whatever. And and even the, the techs contribute to the to this problem. Because right. you know, we could make more money if we were busier. That's not true. There's a yeah. lot of really busy shops making no money. Well, and I mean you, you end up with a ton of liability. You end up with the tech working his butt off on and, and the service advisor working his butt off just over the you know, a, a magnitude of cars and making the same amount of money you would if you just raised your prices and work on half that number of cars. So what you know, listening to that gentleman yesterday, and and he was he was pretty frustrated, right? And and it was neat to hear the other side of the story because we had some that were completely on the other side of the spectrum. You know, is it a situation where some techs need to say, "Hey, look, I, I'm not happy with the industry. The industry's not happy with me. Is it time for me to move on?" But they already it, are. That's part of the problem. I mean, last year, you know. Pre-COVID, during COVID, they said we had 75,000 less techs than we need. Right. The last number I heard, which was three or four months ago at STX, yeah. was 125,000 less. Right. And so, you know, uh, if you look back 20 years ago, we had enough techs. We didn't have a problem. When I ran an ad, I had six or seven qualified people responding. Right. I've got shops right now that have been running ads and good ads. For six months, they haven't had a reasonable response from anybody. Right. right. May have had some responses, but reasonable is a whole different. Well, you know, game. you got you got people that that have worked on their change their own oil, and they're like, yeah. "I want out of this job, and I'm going to go be a, a mechanic." And yeah. They don't really understand the depth and breadth of it all. Right. And and obviously, I mean, maybe I'll hire that guy as a trainee. Right. But I can't hire that guy to work on my customer's Porsche. Exactly. I, I can't. Yeah. Right, so right. much risk and liability yeah. for me. Well, I, I put ads out a while back, a couple of years ago, before I met David, and he yelled at me over my hiring ads. But I put ads out and had somebody come in and, and try and apply, saying I, he was a you know it was for a A level master technician, and he comes in and says, "Oh yeah, yeah, I, I I can definitely do that." Okay, what experience do you have? Oh, I've I've never done this before, but I've done other stuff. Yeah, right. And it's like, is that part of the? Part of the problem, right? That, that the public perceives us that way. Well, I think we, in, in a sense, we perceive ourselves that way. Right. So being an ex-technician, I used to work on cars. And so working on cars is easy, like consulting. Right. You know, I can walk into almost any shop and go, okay, here's five things we could fix that would make us another hundred grand. It's right. pretty simple for me. Yeah. But, and I don't understand that it took me 40, 40 years of experience, knowledge, mistakes, right. et cetera, to get to the point where I can walk in and go, okay, this, this, and this. Right. And so as a, you know, our best technicians, they look at what they do and they say, oh, this is easy because for them it's easy. Right. And I think that even some shop owners will look at, well, this tech, it's hard for him and this tech, it's easy for him. So I shouldn't charge as much because it's easy for him. But I, I'm um, uh, OCD. Right. So 
if I'm bored, like I'll be sitting in church and I'm bored, and I count the scars on my hands. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. And, and there's like 154 scars on my hands. My two hands, right. there's 154 <laughs> scars. Right. right. That's experience. Yep. Right. That's that's driving a screwdriver through your hand because you, you know, you yep. didn't realize that you shouldn't do it that way. Or, exactly. You know, that's, you know, I have I have a few scars on my forehead from right. pulling the, you know, pulling towards me instead of pushing away from me. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I can tell you I'm never, uh, never riding a four wheeler through a window again. But yeah. You know. But but I, I think one of the things is we don't realize the depth of the experience and knowledge that we have to have. And we think anybody can do this. And the fact is, anybody right. can't do it. Right. And and until we realize that and we say that has value and therefore I have value and we have value as an industry. It can't be just, you know, 10% of the shops. It's got to be 60%. Well, we're, we're in trouble. I, I agree with you. Now, David brought up a really interesting point earlier, right? Give me that look. Uh, David brought up a really interesting point earlier, and he said, "But what about the? You know, he's got an apprentice, and mm-hmm. and his apprentice, he's had trouble with um, getting them to want to learn, mm-hmm. right? Then you got and, the wrong apprentice, and getting them to grow, right. right? But we've got a we've got a technician shortage, right? Yeah. We we've got to the point we can't find people in some cases, and this guy says, you know, I want to be paid more, I want to become a technician, I want to do all of these things, but he's not putting the work in." So when you, you know, there's a lot of technicians. I've, I've, I've got one as an example that I keep posting on his wall. He, he says, I won't get out of bed for less than 35 an hour. And I, you know, he comments all over the place. And I'm like, oh, I thought you wouldn't get out of bed for 35 an hour or less. It's like, well, I, 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 well, but see, there's this whole other and, 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 right. Yeah. And, and the reality was, is that I knew some of the people that he ran around with and he had been working for. And, and it was very clear that. There was a value equation problem, right? So is part of this a problem where, I mean, what do you think? Is this a problem where we've got people who are disengaged from the industry? Look at Jeff Compton. Now, Jeff's kind of had a turnaround of his thought process. and But, you know, Jeff had gotten to the point where he was jaded. He was tired. He was frustrated. He didn't want to do this anymore. He was burned out. But he wanted more money. Right. And I say that respectfully, Jeff. I know you're going to listen to this and you're going to send me voice messages, but I say that with respect. Um, you know, they stopped cutting the one minute thing. Now you can go on for hours. I know. <laughs> I know. I get some long ones. Um, you know, what do you think? I mean, is that. I don't know. I, so I'm, <laughs> let, let me, let me make a statement on that because first of all, what's the expectation and what's the plan for this employee? Right. And then when they're not meeting the expectation or the plan, how's, how are they being managed? What's the consequence? Right. Because that's one of the one of the primary issues. You know, you, there's there's a very specific way to manage people and get the most out of people. And consequence becomes part of that. So when I have someone, when I hire someone for that apprentice position, what's the plan? In right. two years, I want that guy to be a B-level tech. Right. And so what are the steps to get him to be a B-level tech and what's required? And then does he understand and know that from the beginning? Right. And then when he goes, well, I don't want to get up and go to that class. You have to say, you don't have a choice. If you want to be, you know, a tech in my it's, business, this is what you have to do. It can be really hard to <laughs> follow through on consequences when you're in a state of desperation. That's what I was. Because you do not have somebody to replace him. And so you, you act out of desperation, which is not in the best interest of yourself or the tech. Right. Or their future. You have to hold those consequences. And by the way, when you do that, then you are setting up a proper future for them. Well, I agree. And you're doing what's best for them. In a lot of cases, we get emotionally attached to people and we don't mm-hmm. want to push that to the next limit. We there's, don't want to say the thing they don't want to hear. There's a fear that, that we all have in business and, and it's kind of multiple fears. Number one, if I raise my price and I get too high, where's the ceiling? When do I lose customers? And right. I think you have to be willing to test it. I've never seen the limit. I've never seen the ceiling limit. Right. And, but there's also a fear of, if I require things of my people, I'm going to lose my people. Right. But people want to have things required of them. They want to be valuable. They want to please. They want you to be happy. And and what you it's that same thought process of if I think I can't charge over a hundred, I'll never charge over a hundred. If I don't 
think I can expect this out of this guy and he's going to do it, he'll never do it. Well, you know, it's really interesting you bring that up, right? Because a good friend of mine just messaged me. He's in a, he's in a different industry. He's in sales, right? And he messaged me the other day and he said, I'm really frustrated with where I'm at. I'm like, what's going on? You've always seemed so happy. And he said, well, he said, my, my, my supervisor's not giving me feedback. He's like, I'm well compensated. I love my job. I love what I'm doing. But I don't know if I'm doing a good job, and it is about to drive me crazy. I'm thinking of quitting. And I'm right, and I'm like, do there's what? A, there's a great <laughs> book by a guy named Charles Coonrat, and it's called Scorekeeping for Success. And it talks about everyone needs a score, yeah, and because they want to know. I mean, if you want happy employees, if you want people that are happy in your business, create challenges for them, and then. Help them overcome those challenges and then tell them when they've overcome those challenges. In other words, have a score and show them the score. Right. Because everybody wants to go home as, as a technician, you know, my boss pushed me in the sense of, I want you to do a lot of hours, all that, but he never said you have to do X hours. Right. I kept score myself. I literally every day I was like, Oh, last week I did 10 hours a day. Can I do 11 this week? Right. And I pushed and pushed and pushed myself. And so there are people in the world that will create their own score. But there are also people in the world that that say, and by the way, we still have people in our business to create their own score, but it's actually a lot lower than we want it to be. Right. Because we're not telling them that that is not acceptable right. in my business. The the greatest fear is that you'll you'll aim low and hit, not you know, instead of aiming too high and miss, you yeah. aim low and hit it. I always know? want to aim a little too high and come yeah. just shy and say, "Wow, we really that was great, that was fantastic." Right. But we, I know we can do this, right? And, yeah, and push. So there's this there's a psychology to the whole thing. And you, you'll actually have your best performers if you're not holding them accountable and keeping score for your best performers. They're either keeping score for themselves. That's the only way they can be happy or they're going right. to leave somewhere and go somewhere else where they will. They're going to get that validation somewhere else. Somewhere. Right. Well, and, and that was what was so interesting about this conversation is because this is an extremely high performer. Yeah. This is someone that that corporation looks to and says, hey, how are we performing? What are we doing? One of my how? top guys. I, exactly. I couldn't do without him. You exactly. Know? And, and he says, you know, and, and so we're, we're talking about district managers. And he says, well, the district manager's not giving me any feedback. And I'm like, well, isn't that his job? Isn't that what he's supposed to? Well, he's busy doing these other things. I'm like, does anybody know? Yeah. And, and you know, as I've grown in business, I realize more and more. And I say this to my people all the time. Like, if something's wrong, you've got to say something. I can't see everything. Sometimes I'm not paying enough attention. Sometimes I'm disengaged. I'm but disconnected. You to, so you have to, but you have to create the ability for the person to have those conversations with you. Yeah. So if if I'm the guy that, you know, uh, one of my employees comes up and says, "Hey, I think we should try this marketing thing," and I go, "Well, that's crap. I tried it right. like 20 years ago. It didn't work. We're not going right. to do that. Is he ever going to come to you ever again?" So I have to go. Wow, that's really that's. Let's listen to that. Let's see. Let's right. maybe let's give it a try. It's twenty years later. Right. You know you, ha- if you don't have, like regular communication with your staff, are we pulling right. that person aside? You know, once once a month, once a week, and saying, "How are you doing? You know, right. here's here's your goals and here's your targets, and you're falling short over here. You're doing really great here, but you're falling short. How can I help you here? And you're not right. creating that. They won't be coming to you and going, "I think I have this idea." Uh, Mendelssohn, Mendel, not Mendelssohn. Mendelssohn's the 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 composer. Um, darn it! Like, one of the psych. Maslow. Maslow. Yeah. Maslow says, um, and 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 I think there's enough evidence that people will um, act like you treat them. Right. Right. So if you're not creating the the communication and the way to have the communication, and you're kind of chasing them away. If you're not creating the goals and talking to them about the goals, right, then they're not going to be communicating with you, right? right. They're, they're going to be in the corner and they're going to be complaining to each other instead of coming to you and going, you suck. Right. Well, right? And don't you do something really interesting with your people on how you, you judge that feedback? What, what is it that you use to get feedback from your people? Well, we do weekly meetings, right? We sit down every week. We certainly would recommend that. Yeah, 20 to 30 minutes. And do you do yours individually? Yeah, individually, not no yeah. shop meetings. We have a shop meeting. Uh, it's it's all it's rah rah. It's the, this is how we doing. Great job. Let's hug it out. 
We look into each other's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and then your your personal meetings, didn't you record them? I say, I got you. Got you, baby. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> and and they still work. A lot of, wi- lot of winking. Made, a lot of winking. <laughs> and then we high five. I, I post it all on social media. Everybody can see it. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, but so if I work for you and I'm underperforming or I think I'm underperforming and you're not giving me feedback... I go home at the end of the day and I'm like, uh. and well, so my job satisfaction yeah. wanes, right? But if, even if you're saying, Hey, Cecil, you didn't get the job done today. You know, right. let's, let's look at that tomorrow and figure out how to help you get the job done. All of a sudden I'm more engaged. I'm more, right. and, and I'm more like this guy cares about whether or not I succeed. Right. I mean, we our marketing. We have one of the best marketing people in the world. We love her to death. I mean, right. She's amazing. But today, our marketing is not getting the job done that we want it to get done. So if we don't say anything about that... She just keeps on gliding, thinking we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We need to to sit down and go, okay, how do we make this more effective, right? How do we do this, right? Right. And we got to try different things, see what works. And we're always looking for continual improvement, right? Like when you're either growing or you're dying. Yeah, you have to. Right. Right. And and I think that so many shop owners they they end up on autopilot. We talked with uh, was it Taylor Wilson from uh, yeah. Texas. Mm-hmm. We talked with an owner the other day, and he said, you know, he said my auto repair shop had just been doing what auto repair shops do. It was on autopilot. It was good. And he said I got involved in another business, and he said all of a sudden I saw all these things that I could take from that other business. He said I refound my passion. Yeah. And he said, wow, I came back to the business and I figured out, hey, I can optimize a lot of things here. I can do a lot of stuff with this business, make a ton of money. And, you know, I've had people say to me before, I, I was thinking like, oh, maybe I buy a car wash, maybe I buy some apartments, this and that. And, and somebody said, hey, think about net 20 on $3 million or $4 million. And if you just focus really hard on what you're doing and make what you're doing effective, as opposed to spreading yourself so thin. You know, I watched my parents do that. My dad had multiple businesses, and they were all extremely successful. But the point was, is he was spreading himself so thin by doing all of those different things that puts you out there on that razor's edge. You lose your life. Yeah. Right? You lose the rest of the things in your life that should be important because you're spending too much on that. And also, you're likely not doing the the due diligence. The quality is going to go... Yeah. It's going to diminish. You're not going to get the value out of every item at that point because you're too right. Thin. Yeah. Whereas if if you optimize the business you have and you make the business you have great, you begin to buy more time. You begin to buy more revenue, and it, it becomes more sustainable. I think in the long run. And I think you you have to ask yourself a question routinely, and that question is, what else am I going to do if I don't make this right? Right. You know, because whatever problems you have, whatever issues, whatever management problems, etc. You take those with you. You know, the grass yeah. is not greener on the other side of the fence unless the other guy is watering it better, right. fertilizing it more, you know, trimming it better. The grass doesn't grow by it. it. It doesn't, you don't get good green grass by itself. Right. So if you're, I have owners come to me and say, I'm, I'm tired of this crap, Cecil. I, I, yeah. I'm done. And, and, and my question is, okay, what next? Right. right. I mean, what what are you going to do? I mean, you have this opportunity. We have business owners making, you know, one shop making four or $500,000 a year and, right. and working three days a week. And that's pretty good money. Yeah. And, that's and, pretty good and, money. And, and then you have a business owner that's making 90000 working his ass off and he's tired. And you're, you're like, okay. But if that guy can do it, you have the opportunity to do that in your business. But right. you have to dedicate yourself to doing the right things, and you have to learn what those right. are. Right. And it's hard work. It's not necessarily easy. It's, it, it, it can be extremely rewarding, mm-hmm. and it can be easy. It doesn't right. have to be hard, but it's hard at first. Yes. Because yeah. it's different from what you've done in the past. You have right. to think differently, and that's a yeah. big hurdle to overcome. Yeah. And that's I think that goes right back to the very beginning, and that is why... Why are we not paying our techs enough? Why are we not making enough? Because we're thinking in this mindset that we have to change. We right. have to think differently in our industry right. as an industry. You know, you said the electrician, he has a code enforcement guy that comes behind him, make sure he does his job right. We have no, anybody can open a shop. I can, I haven't worked on cars in, I don't know, 20 years. Right. I have tools in my garage. I could 
I could, you know, purchase a le lease a two bay thing and start uh, open up and be a mechanic. Do you right. want me working on your car? Probably not. Right. Okay. But but I can do it. There's no there's no um, requirements to be in our industry. Well, you know, so you bring up something else that's come up a lot lately, and and you know, we talked and licensing. Yeah. You know, we talked about NASTIF yesterday. Yeah. And and so there, there's kind of this ragged edge between NASTIF and right to repair, right? So some people say, hey, I want the ability to repair my car. And David said, well, you know, hey, it's it, it's not exactly fair. You want right to repair. Well, isn't that against NASTIF, aren't they? No, I mean, I, I don't think right to repair is about giving you free access to your car. I think right to repair is the ability to buy the information to work on your car. But, but I think but I think there are a lot of guys in our industry who say, I should have the right to that information if Ford makes the car and my customer buys a Ford. And right. and I, I don't agree with that. I mean, yeah. that is part of our issue in the industry. We have no certification of licensing. Yeah. And and what do you think is going to happen as these cars become more and more sophisticated? Absolutely. The natural progression of this is you don't have an engineering degree or right. you don't have some certification that says you know and understand this vehicle. Right. And therefore, you shouldn't touch it. I mean, right. yesterday we were talking EV, uh, I think, in your conversation. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about the suit and the gloves. Right. I mean, there are things on that car today. Yep. That will kill you. Yep. Right? And and twenty-five years ago, they weren't there. Right. I mean, twenty-five years ago, I would pull a plug wire off to see if the cylinder was working <laughs> right. mechanically. Right. Might right? get a little pop every once in a while. Yeah. And I might yeah. get, you know, I might get my uh, you know, my I might get a little tingle. Right. But today I I can do serious serious damage to the car and serious damage to myself. So here, here's my question. This is what came up in our conversation a bit earlier is, so let's say NASTIF um, is, is the road. I don't want to say roadblock. That's not the word I'm looking for, but is the gatekeeper, mm -hmm. right? And so these things on this car, right? And, and I, I use the example of, of tire pressure monitoring. Let's say that they make that part of ADOS. And because it's part of ADOS, uh, you can't access it without security credentials because if the car could potentially drive itself. Somebody could or, drop all your tire pressure or whatever all at once and kill you. And and so the, the way they see is, hey, I need security functions secure on the vehicle. So therefore you have to sign up with NASTIF. They do the background check. You have to have insurance. You have to have a business license. Now Joe Blow down the street says, you know what? I'm not doing that. I'm not interested in that. And so slowly but surely, he Joe has blows out of business at exactly. some point. Exactly. He runs out of things that he can work on. How many carburetors are, are guys working on today? Not many. I, I used to make, I used to do 10 carburetors a, a week right. and make tons of money on carburetors. Yeah. You know, they don't exist. How many, right. how many um, eight track tape players are out there? I, I've right? not seen one. I, I can't. Okay. I, I lie. I have seen one. I, and I yeah, if you have one. a vintage car that used to have an eight track, you want it to work. But there's right. there's not a career in fixing eight track tape. Players. Exactly. There's not the career today is in understanding the the electronics and the computerization of the vehicle. Right. And and the the for those who see, I, I think guys see a lot of money in some of that vintage stuff, or they see a lot of money in specific aspects. It's not that you're making that much profit. It's that there's so much little demand. There's there's a much less demand for that than anything else. So just to break even, you have to charge substantially more. And there's a there's a comfort in what you already know. So yeah. obviously, NASDAQ, there's pushback against NASDAQ because, what, somebody wants to certify me? Right. Are you, are you kidding me? I've been doing right. this for 25 years. Well, right. I'm sorry, dude. What happens when some uncertified technician works on that car and somebody goes out and, and kills, wipes out a family. Right. right. You think the government's going to go, Oh, that's fine. No problem. Right. Yeah. You know, I, what I, happens when the government comes into our industry and says, you can't do this anymore unless you have these certifications and they create the certifications. Right. We're dumb as an industry because we're not creating our own certifications. Right. And if we don't, they will. They will. Right? I mean, they will. It's absolutely. Yeah. Like it or not, it's coming down the pipe. Right, right. So what's the point of ASC then? ASC? Yeah. It doesn't have a point. I mean, don't get me wrong. There, there's value in education. <laughs> there's value. There, so back in the day. We got them. Yeah, yeah we got a lot of them. <laughs> back, back in the day, 
you had an ASC certification, it meant that you knew more. But when ASC started giving a certification for changing oil, right, all of a sudden, you know, the, the marketing between this certification and that certification doesn't mean anything. Right. And the customer, the consumer doesn't understand ASC. They have no idea what that is. So don't get me wrong. It, when I owned a shop, my guys were ASC certified. And if I owned a shop today, my guys would be ASC certified. It's a one way of saying, I know what I'm doing, and it's one way of getting education. But there is, there's no teeth in it, and ASC doesn't want to have teeth in it because they don't want to be responsible. They don't want to have the consequences or the liability of it. Right. What do you think that is? It, money. ASC is about money. Don't get me wrong. I mean, well, everybody's about money. But the problem is if they're not, if, if they're, they're, they're pushing themselves into irrelevancy then, if they're not saying that, hey, there is a need for certification, there but is I, a need but for I a would, certain level of knowledge. I would tell you, ASC would tell you that's, that's not correct. Because we all, we, like I might be pushing myself into, into um, non-existence because I still teach a certain margin. And, and if the industry shifts and I don't shift, I'm probably going to be in trouble, right? So I, I, I would tell you, there's, a, there's also a great book on competence blindness. Um, uh, Inside the Tornado, there's a whole series, and it talks about a thing called competence blindness. Competence blindness is, it, it's, we, do, we own a big share of the market and we do great and everybody loves us. And the best example is Blockbuster in our, in our recent lifetime. Blockbuster was doing two and a half billion dollars in business one year, and the next year they're out of business. Why? Netflix. And by the way, Netflix is probably in trouble, right? Because their model's changing and they've lost revenue share. And if they don't change, then they're going to be out of business. And it's a competence blindness issue. So even ASC says, you know, we don't want to be responsible for that. So we want to do certifications. We want everybody to be certified because it's financially prosperous for us. And sure. it's not bad for the industry. It's still a good thing. Right, right. But as an industry, we need to come up with values and certification licensing for our industry. If we don't, some point, maybe not in the next five years, maybe not in the next 10 years, but at some point, the government is going to create it or the, or the like NASDAQ. Why do we need NASDAQ? Why, right? Because the manufacturers have said, we don't want you in our cars if you don't know what right. you're doing, if we don't know who you are. Right, exactly. Because there's and, and risk. ASE has not done anything to verify competency. It's not done anything to verify true they would, ability. They would argue that because they would say the test verifies competency. Because you, if you understand and you can pass the test, it proves some kind of competency. I, I have worked with master level technicians. I have too. <laughs> but but the, 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 there's two things that you have to have to be successful, especially in this industry. It's probably in every industry. You need to have knowledge. Yeah. So I need to know how the electric system works. I know, need to know how that computer works. I need to know how it communicates. I need to know, you know, I need air conditioning. I need to know how the what the pressures need to be and how the the evaporator works and how the condenser works and why the pressure needs to be what it is and et cetera. I, I need to understand that if I want to be successful knowledge, but you also have to have experience. So right. experience is also a teacher. You got to have both. If you don't have a good measure of both, you cannot be successful. You will right. not be successful. And, but that they have uh, an experience component to the certification. You're supposed to sign that piece of paper saying, yeah, 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 that you've got more than two years in the industry. I yeah. mean, come on. That's, that, that's, and so I know guys have been in the industry for 10 years and they, they, they can change oil and, and change brake pads, but they can't right. do much more than that. So is it, is it the fact that the testing needs to be more stringent or the certification process needs to be more stringent? Yes. There needs to be more qualification and, and also more, like, um, I'm, I'm against um, online pricing for shops. And the reason I'm against online pricing is for the consumer, it turns it into literally only about the price. And yeah. price is one of 10 things that sure. a consumer needs to know about a business. What I would be for is a real evaluation of the shop. How long have they been in business? How many stars? Complaints, non-complaints, level of education of their technicians, level of certification of their technicians, uh, experience, uh, uh, et cetera. Uh, tools, what, what tools do they have? We got people working on things they don't have the tools to work on. Right, they and, shouldn't and be touching And some of them, them are successful. It, yeah. Almost as a process and elimination, being able to do that. 
um, when computers first came out, we didn't have anything. So we had another Chrysler. We'd pull that computer, plug it in. And if the car ran, we knew it was a computer, right? You know, there were, because we didn't have the testing tools or the, even the knowledge right. at that point when that, yeah. you know, in, in 82, when that all started. So, so we need a more stringent certification that literally says, yes, we know this guy's qualified. And it, it, it may not necessarily be, okay, we're going to bring you in and you're going to work on a car, but it may be what experience do you really have in the business and some way to verify that you really have that experience. So, But NASA's gotten around that particular aspect, the liabilities aspect. They, they force a certain level of insurance. But NASDAQ is you not... Have to, is not guaranteeing your knowledge or base. No, no. Na- NASDAQ is guaranteeing that you but are I'm saying someone ASC that should could, be there working on the car. Right? I'm saying the ASC could step into that role, though. But And absolutely they could. But so far, they have not. And they have not. Whenever, in, in my lifetime, when I've been involved with any of this and, and they have been approached on it, they've said, no, no, we don't want to be that person. I don't know why that is. That's Li- it's all about liability. Wanna, yeah. But I'm saying, like, the NASDAQ has taken on a certain level of liability as well in saying that this person is not going to jack the information out of this vehicle, make 30,000 keys, but and reduced, steal all the vehicles. They've reduced their liability by making sure that person is is um, uh, a legitimate person and also that person carries a certain level of insurance. Right. Have they have to be check. on the insurance. So they've re- it's they've like, been background um, checked the whole nine yards. So it's like loaner cars, right? Uh, so I can have loaner cars and people say, well, loaner cars aren't any good because there's liability there, which they're correct. But if I have the right form that the person fills out, at least in most states, that says my insurance is first liable and they sign that and they actually and I actually verify that they have insurance, then my liability is reduced dramatically. Doesn't mean that I might not have somebody that lied to me or, you know, when they sign it's that, just still come I can't up. chase them down. Well, that's my point is it, there are mechanisms in there to, that would allow ASC to to push that envelope and say, look. We're yeah. now going to place this level of certification and push uh, to make sure that these people are fully competent so, and knowledgeable, like you're saying. You're right. And, we, yeah, we're going to take that risk on, but otherwise we're going to end up like Blockbuster. Yeah, they could. They could. They could. So far, they haven't. Now, I'm going to ask you about your technician. So you have a, a trainee tech who's not educating, who's not moving forward, who's not training. Can I make a dog a cat? No. Okay, yeah. so when I realize that this is a dog, I either have to treat it like a dog and, and love it like a dog and get what I can from a dog. Or get rid of it and get or a cat. Or get rid of it and get a cat if I <laughs> yeah. want a cat, right? Sure. It's, it's, so, so if ASC, I mean, there are a lot of people in the industry that say ASC should be the one. And they're yeah. probably right. I mean, ASC is literally. They should be. They're, they're positioned. They're literally. They're positioned, too. They They've they're, got the, the foot yeah. They should be they all over They are in this. the best position to do this. But the they're investment, the they yeah. haven't stepped in. And if they never they have the desire, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So some dude owns ASC. No, they were originally um, Bob, the ASC guy. Owns they were originally <laughs> uh, guys that were ASA guys who right. said, and they they founded it yeah. because wasn't it because they were worried that government regulation actually yeah. they got noticed that hey we were going to have government yeah. regulation they said hey back in the day when it all started that's what it was all about. Yeah. What about the organizations? What about Amwaka? Sure, he's going to own half the world. So they're so divided. Yeah. Right, they're so divided; they're all going in different directions. Well, but they're all and also swallowed. And also, there's not there's not enough. So, so yeah. we have um, I don't know if you t- count no waka, mo waka, all the wakas, and you count the ASA and the SCCA, you're looking at maybe ten thousand shops. Yeah, and many of the guys that are no waka members are also ASCCA or whatever. Yeah, so, so there's yeah, overlap. There's so yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's this overlap, and and we have two hundred. Well, I guess the issue shots. though is like there's a lot of times you you join these organizations for the networking, the connection. Sometimes for the benefit, maybe it depends on the benefit package. But you also just want to be in the know and know what's going on, training events and things like that. That's really why you sign up. Now. Sherry did a really good job and said, hey, I'm going to start incorporating all this training and putting it online and making it accessible. So our shops are going to have access to the best training on demand. And the the value proposition then shifts immensely. I, I, I would also make a comment. And that comment is, where's the certification of the trainers? Yeah, so, I get that. So th- this is in, in only a way, the very best trainers on Waka, though. I'm just telling you, only the very best ones. I, I, I do a lot of training for these guys. But I know. I, 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 I got to tell you, 
it's becoming a pay-to-play thing. Yeah. And, and the more pay-to-play it is, the less – if I don't pay, even though I might be, quote-unquote, one of the best trainers, I'm not going to be training. Yeah. And, and even by saying this, if, if, if somebody gets mad at me because I made the statement, yeah, but at then the same I might time, not be like training. There's the, <laughs> right. the issue, though – and that's, this is sort of a side conversation, but the issue then becomes there's, there is a marketing aspect to having you on the platform – and so it's like we're we're pumping you, the company, yeah. the 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 opportunity to consult. We're putting you in front of potential customers, and so it makes sense from a marketing standpoint that yeah, I should be on there prominently because I'm going to get in front of more potential customers, and these are the most engaged shop owners that I could possibly want to talk to, as opposed to cold calling anybody that has no idea. Like you, know, there's training for management. It's like yeah, dude. Get on board, and so it's it's a it's an easier sell. So I I understand that aspect. But going back to the certification thing, why couldn't they then step up and say, okay, now let's we have this access this this network. Let's create a program. Pitch that to Sherry. What do you think she'll back say? Back to there's only two percent of the shops or three percent of the shops that are involved in the association, and ninety seven percent are not. So if the association comes out and says, we want you to be certified, and there's a large contingent of shops that say, I don't want the government or anybody else looking over my shoulder and requiring me. Well, that's the point. Is like, let's not get the government involved. Let's bring these people in. Any and saying, certification, I can tell you right now, if, if you put this podcast out, you're going to have people say, that's BS. We don't want certification. I don't want somebody else telling me I'm, I'm qualified to work on this car or to be this guy. Right. You're going to see that. And this has happened in our industry the over the 43 years I've been in it, it's, it's but the they're reacting from fear though. They're like, Oh, I'm gonna f- somehow feel inadequate if I fail to get certified. If we so, did, if we and did, so it therefore, let's just screw everybody and if say, we No, did certification. It correctly, we would grandfather a lot of the people in and give them the opportunity to get the certification, learn what they need, or be what and they need through to, education, yes. right? Through education. Yeah. If, if, if we came at this from a through education, no, standpoint. it's not just in their education though, Wait. because ASC has been doing no. like the education hang, thing. Hang on, hang on. That's not what I'm talking about. Got to be focused you're, on you're, a very specific category of things that need to be done. It does. But, but what I'm saying is, is we need to educate them on why it's important. Yeah. First, yeah, yeah. Right. We've got a lot of the hundred percent. Hundred percent. But you get. Of, I mean, even here in the, the room last night, right? You know, you got you got guys that are saying yeah, and guys that are saying no, and they're so yeah. passionate about the whole thing. That's why we're independent. Exactly. Well, <clears throat> here's my point though: is if we can inform them and help them understand that a, we're making sure the cars are safer, we're making sure that your wife is safer driving down the road, we're making sure that that Bob down the street, who's been undercutting you for the past twenty five years isn't doing that anymore because he didn't pay for the right tools. You know, back to the tooling conversations, people would you're trying to, the You're tool. trying Hell. to market to the shops. Yeah. I think you need to completely scrap that because he's 100% <laughs> right. There's going to be 80,000 opinions and they're all going to differ. I think you go after the consumer. Uh, that, if you don't yeah, see this point. seal on the shop, they don't know what they're doing. But and that's it. There would you have to be some it across the serious board. marketing behind it. And there would have to be a network. Like right now, you talk you know, about... You say that, but how many of those stupid fixed devices do you think got sold? A lot. Exactly. And they were the stupidest videos, complete BS, filled with a bunch of misinformation, but they sold a ton of them. Why? It just took a couple of viral clips. Do you all think that standing in front of some shop and saying, see this shop has this seal? That one does not. This makes sure that they're not going to kill you. You have no idea what they're going to do to your car. I, you put that on social media, it will blow up. I agree with you a million percent. And everybody will hate you. Mark <laughs> Twain said, a lot of crappy products have been sold by good marketing. Amen. Okay. Hey, can we can we call Donnie and get a little badge made? <laughs> call Donnie and get I'm some little I'm just saying, though, if you don't go after the, the, the consumer. The consumer has to understand what that means. Yeah. Yes. And, and that could be done in a lot of ways. But yeah. someone, you know, it's like time, energy, and money. You got to have that to make this happen. You can't. You and I sitting here talking about it ain't going to make it happen. Yeah, I've been. I mean, when well, I was, we're trying to decide what it is, so we can kind of focus in on a direction. We <laughs> need we need certification and licensing that is industry driven that carries weight. Yeah, and so we I, need an AMA that we the need consumer a, is a fully aware. Association for automotive. Well, that's what we need. Who, right? 
That's what we need, baby. I'm sorry. <laughs> it didn't fix need. it in California. Like California's no, no, I'm not talking about the beer bottom repair. I'm talking about lawyers. There is oh. not a lawyer out there that hasn't passed the bar exam. Yeah. You cannot practice without passing the bar exam. Yeah. Okay. And it doesn't mean there aren't crappy lawyers. Well, and, and you know, there are crappy lawyers, but you you do run into an issue where it does. And I guess it wouldn't be necessarily a bad thing. Like they only give out so many medical licenses a year intentionally to restrict access. So the, the guy coming in from across the, from across the ocean is fully capable of prescribing whatever you need and fixing you and whatever he's got to do. He has no access to you because he can't get I licensing have, because he's not uh, on the list. I have never heard of a limit to medical licenses. What I have heard is if you cannot pass the American test with the Amer- having gone through the American education, in America you cannot be a doctor. So if you, I don't know if that's still valid, but I heard that Milton I might Friedman be wrong. talking about it. I might be Milton wrong. Friedman said that the reason why doctors are so expensive is because there's only so many a year that are licensed. Yeah, they won't allow it to. They won't open up the market and let anybody. Get licensed, assuming so that they can pass so the, the, the test. There's even further reason not to push what we actually need is because that'll that'll further exacerbate the tech shortage. Because you're going to have a lot of guys that aren't going to be qualified anymore. Well, you no, know. no, you're not going to get rid of the guys that are already in the industry. That's the grandfather. You, you may not have the education. You may not have the oh, tools. No, but you may you're not have going, but you're going you're to learn going it. to have some attrition there because there are going you to be will. guys who will not. So you don't go it. after the technician. Go after the shop. Yeah, the that, shop now has to be certified because you can have a shop that has a guy that has a certain level of knowledge and two or three guys that have a lower level of knowledge. But I, I think you have to do both. I, I, I don't know how, how you do it just at the shop level and not at the tech level. Well, it, here's the thing. And, and that's why I've kind of jumped on the Nastif bandwagon is because at least with, with something like Nastif, what do we have? Well, first of all, we have a requirement of a business license. Mm-hmm. We have a requirement of insurance. And you're right? not going to get in that car if you don't have the right qualification. Exactly. Period. And so, At least parts of it. So my thought process is, if nothing else, if we can just get to that, right? And, and if it comes through access restriction to certain parts of the automobile, if we can at least get just there, we're making a tremendous difference industry-wide through that. Because yeah. how many shops do you know? How many shops have you started working with? That had no insurance. Oh man, it, it's scary. I, I recently started working with a couple of shops that had no point of sale, no financials at all. Yeah. So you know, you're like, oh my god, you know, right. there's some things we got to start with. Right. And 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 so I, I I have talked to 15 or 16 shops in the past four months that have no insurance, no liability, no, and there were they, they've. Over the years, they've built a shop on their property, and they've got the building covered, and they're like, what's garage keepers? I didn't know anything about it. And here they are. They're working on cars, and they're doing all – and I'm like, whoa, like I would almost pause operations for just a little bit and go yeah. find the insurance agent. Talk, Talk about them. risk. Right. And and so there again, insurance agent, he's supposed to be certified. He's supposed to be licensed. He's supposed to know what he's talking about. The, what, the masseuse that gave you your last massage, the gal that did your nails and did your petty, your man in your petty – has to be qualified. Has to have a license, right? And in, in order a, to work, and to work on your hundred thousand dollar automobile, I need to have tools and convince you I can work on it. That's <laughs> and, it. And we let this happen. Yeah. Oh yeah. We kind of asked for it. And people are wondering why. Industry. You know. Right. And you know, in the fifties and sixties, even in the seventies, it was probably okay. Yep. But today, it's a different vehicle. It's a different market. There's more liability. There's lots of other reasons to make this happen. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. If you'd like to catch these episodes early, you can do so by becoming a patron. Just go to asog.site and click on the Become a Patron Now button. Becoming a patron helps support the show, gets you several perks, and is tax deductible. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and on YouTube so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot me an email. My email address is david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy-to-use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to GetShopware.com and see what I mean today. That's GetShopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.